Thanks, Tim. Dr. Brenny Brown is a professor at the University of Houston. A prolific author and researcher, her TED Talks on vulnerability and shame, as well as a popular podcast, mean that she is increasingly well known. In one study, she looked at what helped and sustained people and discovered this. Without exception, every person I interviewed who described living a joyful life, or who described themselves as joyful, practiced gratitude and attributed their joyfulness to their gratitude practice. The subject that we're looking at today has been called one of the most important things that we need as human beings, but perhaps the most overlooked and most misunderstood. It's something God commands his people to do, but something that for some reason religious people in particular seemingly find it very difficult to put into practice. It's what the author C.S. Lewis called the serious business of heaven, joy. Not happiness, that's what our society makes do with and is a pale imitation of life-sustaining, soul-renewing, mind-refreshing and strength-restoring joy with a capital J. It's not pleasure, which is the insatiable demand for more, personal gratification, but which always follows the law of diminishing returns, whether it's to do with sex, alcohol or money. It isn't about remembering all our yesterdays when things were seemingly better in the past, or hoping for a better tomorrow that never comes. It's the ability to deliberately and consciously remember God's goodness today. And especially where we are now as a society, and perhaps where you may be today, joy is needed now more than ever. Nehemiah is famous for one thing, the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at various incidents from the life of Nehemiah and the lessons that we can learn from him, how God used him, and some principles that might be applied into our lives. But Nehemiah was not just about the rebuilding of the walls. He had a far greater and more important vision in mind, the restoration of a nation. And as the wall rebuilding project comes to an end, the focus moves on to that more important task, how the nation itself can be rebuilt. And Nehemiah begins to step back and the prophet Ezra, who'd been in Jerusalem for 13 years before Nehemiah arrived, he now steps forward and takes centre stage. The walls are finished and the people spontaneously gather by the water gate, we're told, in chapter 8 and verse 1. They instruct Ezra to bring out the book of the law of Moses. And Ezra, a priest and scholar, begins to read it out loud to the crowd. Levites and others scattered throughout the crowd explain what Ezra is reading, but also explain what it means. We're told that in verses 3, 7 and 8. And the people respond as they hear the law of Moses read out loud. They fall onto their faces and worship God, verse 6. But then comes this surprising twist. 
Nehemiah, Ezra, and all the Levites tell the people to get up. There will come a time for confession of sins, for repentance and fasting, for sackcloth and ashes. The whole of chapter 9 will go into great detail about that. But first comes something else. Nehemiah, Ezra and the Levites tell the people to stand up, not to mourn or weep, not to grieve or fast, but to do something else. Perhaps counterintuitively, they say this, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. It's verses 9 to 12. And they tell the people to go and celebrate. It's a bit of the idea behind this Shrove Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, only this goes on for more than just one day. But the reason is very clear in verse 10. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And they go and do as they're told. Not just for one day, but for seven days, we're told, in verse 18. They remember the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, where the people of Israel were told to go and live in temporary shelters to remember, paradoxically, the day of their greatest national failure when they failed to enter the Promised Land after being freed from slavery in Egypt, and to remember their failure, but more importantly, to remember God's goodness, faithfulness, mercy and love. This week we begin Lent, and we have Shrove Tuesday, where the idea is that we do take up the choicest food, sadly only for one day, before the fast, as it were, of Lent begins. A time when on Ash Wednesday we remember our failure, our sinfulness, and climaxes at Easter as we remember God's goodness, faithfulness, mercy and love in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And there will be times over the next few weeks to be quiet and reflective, to be penitent and sombre, and we've suggested some resources in the News and Events email and through Connect Groups to help you reflect this Lent on who you are, on your mortality, on your frailty, on our sinfulness and our need of God's grace, mercy and love. But I want us to encourage each other this Lent of all Lents that we've ever observed perhaps to practice one of the lesser known spiritual disciplines the discipline of celebration. A few years ago now, about six or seven years ago, in pre-COVID days, the Irish band Wren Collective explained why they had decided to practice what they called the art of celebration. I remember a few years ago sitting watching the sunrise. It was a typical misty Irish morning and there was a magical stillness in the air. Something happened that day that I didn't see coming. You see, I've grown up in church. I've been surrounded by the fact that Jesus loves me since I was born. But that day, something new flooded my soul. My eyes were opened and I was totally overwhelmed by the reality of God that I was not alone, lost in life, that 
that I was not condemned, but that I was free. And I don't know what happened, but this uncontrollable urge took over me. I jumped to my feet and started sprinting through the fields like a wild man, laughing and crying with pure joy. That was my first taste of the art of celebration. Since that day, I've learned that life has a way of draining that childlike wonder from us. Whether it's through our own failures or disappointments, whether it's suffering or betrayal, or even just familiarity, that's why we put up our defenses, isn't it? That's why we become numb. We pull back from life and become spectators because we're afraid of being hurt again. But the good news is, Jesus is always doing a new thing. He's not finished with us yet. We may doubt, we may feel like we are broken beyond repair, but He is the peace in our troubled sea. He is the healer of the brokenhearted. Recently, we made a theological breakthrough as a community, and it has changed everything about our approach. We realize that seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is. You see, there is an irrepressible laughter in the heart of God, and the whole universe cannot contain it. He is the one who invented celebrations and feasting and holidays. He is the one who sings and dances over us. When he suffered the cross, he did it for the joy set before him. And that joy was knowing that you and I would be fully free, no longer captive to our sin. Yes, the whole human story is described in terms of a celebration, the marriage of Christ to his bride, the church. Our God is the ultimate artist of celebration, the inventor of the party, and the healer of the broken. One of the great writers of Christian spirituality in recent years, Dallas Willard, put it this way. Celebration, heartily done, makes our deprivations and sorrows seem small. And we find in it great strength to do the will of our God, because his goodness becomes so real to us. So can I challenge you and me to be counterintuitive and countercultural over the next few weeks? to deliberately and consciously decide to remember God's goodness and celebrate it. Now you may say, Dave, how can we do that in the face of what we're going through at the moment? How can we do it in the face of a global pandemic? How can we do it when life seems tough and hard and boring and gruelling? Well, paradoxically, that is exactly the time when we need to celebrate.
to consciously remember God's goodness, even in the face of suffering and pain and even in the face of lockdown. The theologian Karl Barth described joy as a defiant nevertheless, not ignoring or minimising the pain that we see and feel all around us, not to dismiss the frustration or the sadness or the day-after-day tedium that many people feel just now, but in the face of all that we're going through and because of what we're going through, to consciously remember and bring to mind God's goodness. Perhaps by writing somebody a letter or an email this week, to say thank you to them for who they are or things that they've done. Perhaps writing a daily or weekly list of everything that you can say thank you for today. And to make that a daily discipline during Lent. That this Lent, rather than just giving stuff up, we decide to take stuff on to consciously remember God's goodness. Because, Nehemiah tells us, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Not fear, not obedience, not guilt or sadness, but joy. A joy that comes in remembering who God is and all that he has done for us. And the promise is that as we do that, our souls will be renewed, our spirits will be refreshed, our minds will be reoriented and our strength will be revived because the joy of the Lord is our strength. So let's resolve this Lent to learn the art of celebration and then go on and do it. Let's pray together. Father, as we prepare to remember again your amazing love seen in the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, we ask that this Lent you might pour your Spirit afresh into our hearts and minds, that we become aware in a new way of your goodness, of your greatness, of your mercy, of your love and of your power, that this might be our defiant nevertheless, and that we might know the joy of the Lord as our strength. Amen.